0: You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what's new and innovative in education. And today we're sharing an on-location podcast. Getting Smart Director Carrie Schneider recently spent a couple days completely immersed in place-based learning with Teton Science Schools in both Wyoming and Idaho. The visit was part of our partnership with TSS on a place-based education campaign that we're calling Learning and the Power of Place. At this point, you might expect that we're gonna stop and define place-based education, but we're not going to. Instead, we're gonna turn it over to Carrie and the teachers, students, and leaders that she talked to on the TSS campuses. We're pretty convinced that once you've had the chance to hear about what learning looks like at TSS, you'll not only understand what place-based education is, but you'll also be just as excited as we are about its potential.
1: Thanks, Megan. So I had the opportunity to spend two days in the beautiful Teton mountain range, experiencing my own place-based learning on the four campuses of Teton Science Schools. My tour guide was Nate McLennan, the VP of Education and Innovation at TSS. Nate was a founding faculty member of the TSS Journey School in 2001, and he has about 20 years of experience in education. Um, This podcast is a little different because in typical place-based learning fashion, we wanted to really immerse learners in the experience. So that means you're going to hear things like uh, footsteps while we are walking across the campuses and kids playing outdoors and teachers working with student groups in the background. Let's just go ahead and head to the Jackson campus of Teton Science Schools in Jackson, Wyoming, where our tour begins.
2: So there's three buildings. We call it kind of lower campus and upper campus. And the three buildings up here are all Journey School. Okay. Where field ed, field education programs like this McGillis Group will be focused down here. Okay. Uh, and they'll be out in the field every day. And these folks will, you know, often they're just in the classroom. And they'll go outside and do play space work when it's appropriate. It's not, I think, one of the misconceptions in, is that play space has to happen every set of curriculum. Or, or all curriculum needs to be play space at all times. And I think we have a firm belief that you still need a strong core literacy program and a core math program. For Singa- this school is the Singapore math program, and they do the Singapore math curriculum. Uh, they're an IB school, so they do an IB curriculum, 6 through 12. But we overlay it with this approach of place to increase relevancy and things like that.
3: So I'm Betsy Trobridge, and I think one of the things that makes Journey School special is we have this beautiful hillside that the students are allowed to go up and play on it allows them to gather pine cones and sticks and build forts and create an economy which is really sort of connects them closer to this place that is
1: theirs and are they just are they just out here doing that for fun is that something that you guys have set up Great. We have two races at
3: least a day, especially in the elementary school, and so that is when they can go up there on their own with the teacher roaming around, but not a present at every moment. So they have some free, free time to work things out.
2: So this is a whole design project. Working with the kids. This was working with fourth and fifth graders last year uh, in partnership with a little a local group called Partners. But then they were learning design. The whole challenge was redesign our library. This is our library. Uh, redesigned the library to be super comfortable and cool, and so the kids designed this with the te- one of the teacher design teacher. And this is fourth and fifth graders, I and mean, they built it and created it. So Did the kids do the art. Yeah, this is all art projects. It's amazing. Yep, that yep. Okay. was all. So they in- integrated art, and so sometimes place-based thinks like, oh, you have to be outside the classroom, but place is really about using your local place for teaching and making it relevant and giving kids agency and all those kind of things. And dude, anytime I can, so you can see actually, I actually didn't hear see but. Here's the documentation
1: of oh, great. Uh, yeah. the library
2: project. And so they had, this is, you know, identify, create, plan it. And, and that
1: to me is, like, um, just a really good example of what makes this room a place where you can come and experience place-based ed, right? Because I can just right. walk in here, even if, if you weren't with me, yeah, yeah. and read this and get a sense of exactly what's happening Right, and then there
2: was, there was history here. And so right. this wasn't just a bunch of adults that said, Oh, we need a great place for kids. It was kids saying, We need a great place for kids. We want to make our place better. And, You you can see them painting a picture of the mountains right there. Public schools sometimes say, oh, we can't do this, but anyone can do this. It just takes sort of this mindset and this approach of saying, wait a minute, students can be part of this process. We can use what we have here. And When they're younger, it might just be the classroom, the school, and as they get older, it's more the place, the local place, the region, and then eventually more nationally and internationally. So we have this concentric rings model as well that we talk about. Uh, So this is doable anywhere, I think, with the right... Sort of Do you ever get stuff.
1: examples from parents about kids taking that mindset into their homes?
2: Yeah, um, interesting. I think that parents see the students as um, uh, independent, taking responsibility. Um, uh, we have a program called Han- "This is a little bit of a side note, but Hands to Work," which is a uh, we all help. And this is across all the science schools. We help um, clean up the campus, and so at some campuses. So for where I worked out in the Welcome Center every Thursday for a half hour, I'm going to skip today, but every Thursday for a half hour, we all clean up. Um, We all have our assigned areas, the kids for five minutes at the end of the day and our 10 minutes of kids and faculty, everything you see here is all sort of participant cleaned. Um, We do professional cleaning with bathrooms and things like that, but we don't have the full custodial service. And so what parents sometimes see is, wait a minute, my kids, taking care of their place at home. So it's about taking care of your place as well as making a difference in the place.
1: What is this? Ah, rope course. So this is like Uh, a challenge course.
2: Yeah. Around our place-based framework, we have those three competencies. One of them is community leadership, and so we believe that that uh, all participants should d- develop as leaders. And so the ropes course we'll use, they'll be part of PE class at Journey School. Our field education groups will use it. We'll use it for local, like we've done local nonprofit leadership trainings for nonprofits in town, and they'll come up here and use it. Uh, and then we have staff as part of our field education team that are trained and, you know, to be up in the top of, this is a classic, I don't know if you've ever been on a yeah, ropes yeah, course. Uh-huh. So it's a- uh, Much
1: smaller version yeah. of that. <laughs> um,
2: so, and this used to be, and we'll partner um where it's a partnership between i think uh local parks and rec, and then the public schools and then us all have some jurisdiction over it we maintain it um, we were looking at wind energy and they did a fee- a math class did a feasibility study of what would it mean to put a wind tower it's not windy today but oftentimes the wind just cranks in this it's canyon it's so in yeah. the south canyon and, um so their their ultimate conclusion was um it wouldn't it's not it wasn't cost-effective. The ROI on a big wind tower was like 40 years or something. Mm. and so, But doing this as an educational uh, experience, and it's linked into a portal up there where they can charge their cell phones, and so they can start to see, oh, well, this is a way to directly wind, and there's a solar panel up there as well, um, can directly charge phones. Is uh, there a nest up there? So that's a raven nest, yeah, on the top. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Every spring they make a lot of noise. But they, you know, they have the eighth graders have to design a service learning project for the rest of the school, which is kind of cool. just kind of a twist on that, um, so that they use design thinking to, to go and find a real community problem. They interview nonprofits in town, and they decide which nonprofit they want to help, and then they then design an experience for the sixth and seventh graders to help create that product um, for that nonprofit in town. So it could be like they built a website once for a nonprofit yeah. that needed it. Um, they did a documentary film for another nonprofit, and they but it was the sixth seventh the eighth graders doing with eighth graders learning, leading. They go to Washington, D.C. with a, with a twist that they all have to um, determine where they're going in Washington, D.C. So they have to figure out um, how they're how they're navigating public transportation. So they have to figure out how to get around. So that's not pre-planned. And then where they want to go in D.C. And then they research those areas and they present. When they get to that, like Lincoln Memorial, they'll present in front of it and then sometimes they gather a the crowd around them that other oh, people... because yeah, they, sure. you know, yeah. um, they do a rite of passage journey. So this is... Uh, uh, trying to reintroduce this idea that in a modern world we don't want to write a passage. So they'll do a pre- whole thing on primitive skills and how you, their biggest challenge you have to learn how to light a fire sure. from Scotch. Um, and then they stay by themselves, they do a full day solo, um, kind of a bound-esque full day solo, uh, prepare their own meals, and camp by themselves. Well, and it's eighth grade. Eighth yep. um, and they write an essay thing they have to write and then they have to present. The, the presentation's is interesting because it's a metaphor. So. They have to present their, how they've developed from sixth, seventh, through sixth, seventh, and eighth grade while um, doing something that's important to them. So someone might, some girl raised a chicken, so she'd bring an egg, then she presented a little chicken in her hand, and then a full-grown chicken. Uh, one girl played uh, chess against herself um, while she was presenting. One girl solved the Rubik's Cube. Someone else tied a fly, like a fishing fly. And all of those, are, they're, they're using those metaphors to show their transitions, so just a thing. That's
3: cool. yeah, it's really cool.
4: So, um, for Spanish yes,
2: pre-taking, so. of design. So, design's a, a way of thinking, as we know, right? So, it's, it's a way of creating solutions and a process to think about that. Um, it may be that you need to create a little plastic model um, through a 3D printer, but you don't have to. And I think the, the fallacy out there is: oh, to do design thinking and you need a fab lab and you need to spend a million dollars on it, and you don't. These are some simple tools. Um, and I mean, sometimes the kids. <laughs> They, it's funny how many kids don't know what difference between a Phillips and right. uh, a flathead, yeah. and a driver, right? right? And so, as part of that uh, sort of design thinking process of play spaces, they may need to build models sometimes. And by building, having the space, they can build models.
1: And this connects right back down to in the pre K kindergarten, too, where they're hammering nails into what? Exactly,
2: yeah. exactly. And so, there's this theme of you can yeah. do things. If you want to try something and build something, you can do that. And it gets more and more advanced. I think What's happening in U.S. schools now is that everyone's buying. Oh, let's buy five 3D printers, and and then the kids start printing plastic pieces, and then suddenly there's a lot more plastic in the world. And uh, and then integration might be uh, you're printing a bust of Shakespeare because you're reading Macbeth in English, like, and that's not real. Like that's not real integration. Um, and it's an, it's an effort, but I think uh, we have to be careful about that in this sort of design craze that we're going through and maker craze. Yeah. So one thing that we're doing is. Um, Maybe because I don't use the 3D printer. Yeah. But they work. So we have a pretty strong robotics program. Um, and oh, all the bigger robotics are taken away. So this, I coach Legos. Uh, oh, yeah, like great. This afternoon, the Lego robotics. But they, we also ro- do the older robotics as well. And they often have to print plastic pieces for those robots. So that's a sort of a real life piece. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know, frankly, it hasn't been used that much. We got it as part of a grant. And um, we use it as an as needed type thing. Uh, mostly for robotics. Uh, but a lot of the design stuff is paper towel rolls and paper and scissors and glue and kind of elementary type work, but also to build up a prototype of something that they want. Yeah, to and
1: make. those things, paper towel rolls are easier to manipulate than yeah. the, the 3D printer. And you can do yeah. them quicker. Yeah. So Nate and I made our way through campus and we talked to several kids who were eager to share a bit about their experiences with place-based learning. These are students from elementary to high school describing several of their projects and their learning experiences out in their community that they call journeys. Taken together, all these descriptions paint a picture of all the different forms that place-based learning can take. I want you to pay special attention to just how interdisciplinary and academically rigorous these experiences are. Let's hear from the students.
5: Hi, I'm Iris. Um, I'm from Salt Lake City, Utah, uh, McGill School, and we're up here at t Science School just uh, learning about the wildlife here. We've actually been studying pika in science class. So, uh, actually yesterday my group went up to Death Canyon, we looked for pika, and yeah, so we're just studying wildlife and the nature here. It's really cool. Hi, my name is Mary. I'm in the eighth grade. And I would say that place-based education means involving yourself with the community and making it a better place, seeing as the Jacksonville community is already so tight-knit and then the service work that we're all required to do. I think that really meshes us even more, which I really appreciate, because journeys, we have students that are involved with everybody, like sports, the Animal Adoption Center. So by doing that service work that I really think that helps us appreciate and understand the community more because the place-based education helps us really respect the, our, our place that where we grow up. I think it really res- helps us respect it more.
1: Yeah. What kind of projects do you do here in school um, that you would say are examples of place-based learning? Well, the 8th graders, we choose a nonprofit that
5: we do a service learning project with, usually with the whole middle school. Last year we chose the Doug King's Foundation and the 8th graders went skiing with them and we designed logos for them. A man came and talked in about his mother's experience during the Holocaust. Having that, it was super personal and the way he delivered it was super powerful. Like before I'd just been reading, reading texts and the texts they were obviously powerful but hearing that man talk about the pain in such a human way, like a human-to-human interaction, that was really powerful.
1: That's great. And what about your most recent journey or a journey you took before? Can you tell me a little bit about that?
5: So we went to City of Rocks and we did a slight service project where the park rangers came in and talked about how, well, what animals were there, how we could take care of the place, which I, well, the thing I noticed with journeys is that whenever we go to a place, they're like, oh, we can always make this place better than we left. We can learn how, what affects it through a sustainability triangle, which is really, it's like, oh, what are the economic factors, social factors, ecological factors, and how does that come into play when we go on our journeys, and how can we improve on
6: that? Hey, my name is Rainer and for my grassroots project I kind of um, used my Eagle project so I got my Eagle Scout this summer and for my Eagle project I built a recreational trail for tubers to Flat Creek behind Staples and so I was able to count that as my grassroots project so I pretty much got my troop and a bunch of my friends and um, We built, we sort of carved out a path down to the creek from the road um, using pickaxes and shovels and whatnot. And then we got about four tons of gravel and used wheelbarrows to spread it out over the path. And we also built a little footbridge over a tributary that was kind of in the way of the path out of um, fur planks. And the reason we did that was because in Jackson a lot of people were complaining about tubers getting in and out of Flat Creek on private land, so we built this really nice access trail so that tubers could use that on a public land area instead of trespassing on people's property.
2: Um, play yeah,
4: so,
6: so the choose-
7: Pinedale journey, that was cool. We did like, we learned about pronghorn and then we learned about like oil mining or drilling and like we sort of compared the two.
1: What journeys, what trips, what um, experiences did you have out in the world that shaped that uh, position paper and that debate? Well, we How'd you learn about, about this?
7: Like, we got talked to by this person who does things with pronghorn. I don't know. He knows a lot about pronghorn, and then we visited this oil drilling company, and then we just learned about both sides of the problem.
2: And why did the aquatic center matter?
1: I think it was just for fun.
2: It's actually, and it was funded by the oil and gas. That's why it was oh. interesting. So.
1: <laughs> and um, Kai, I'm gonna need to like tell you a big secret. I have no idea what pronghorn what that is I'm from Ohio and we I've never heard the the word pronghorn used in a sentence so I'm here for my own place-based learning Um, tell me what is pronghorn
7: pronghorn is like an animal what does it look like <laughs> Like a, I don't know sort of like a deer I guess in some ways um, it lives in like sagebrush and stuff
8: yeah. <laughs> my name is Adele, and I'm a senior at Journey School. I, for my grassroots project, I work with people at the at Morning Star, the residential senior center, and we do art classes together. I've been doing it for close to 11 months now, and it's still going. I did it over the summer. We've worked with multimedia. We've done racehorses, um, created those out of socks and things like that. Um, we painted watercolors, colored, worked with different types of, um, and forms of art, including um, the blind contour, and then I got them into different types of um, stylistic techniques of art, um, using like stifling, uh crosshatching, hatching, and whatnot. And so over the past 11 months and I've just developed a really strong relationship with those who have attended my class and it's just meant a lot to me and a lot to them and I think as the year progresses, it'll just get better and better.
9: Hi,
7: my name is Cece and I'm a sophomore here at the Journey School. We recently had a fall journey and it was like a backpacking trip and we were split into groups with, and we had various ages, we had seniors, juniors. And we even had a field ed guide from here at Journeys and one of our teachers. And so the sophomores and freshmen had an assignment instead of the juniors and seniors, but the assignments were different. The sophomores and freshmen had to tell like a story that um, represented like a value or a lesson that can be taught. And we all wrote our stories and we told it to our groups. And the seniors and juniors, they researched like, an animal and just how like how it has evolved and like its scientific name and like what it eats it's predator prey such things like that but i think the fall journey is really important because it's like at the beginning of the year there's new students freshmen and it's just really nice to just integrate with one another and make new friends and it's really like a community thing it's like a hard thing to do we're backpacking and yeah how long is your trip it's four days and three nights I really like it even though it's like tiring, but it's still like a great journey. Do you um, mind telling me a little bit about your story that you shared? Um, My story was about um, how to keep things light when things are tough. So using humor to get, like, you know, keep things light. And it was about this guy who broke up with his girlfriend and it was super sad, but this little kid told him to keep his head up. I remember that in Our class, history and, I know, English and science, we were all like, I guess, sort of like a monster topic. So, in history, we were talking about mountain lions. In English, we read the book Grendel. And in science, we were studying Bigfoot, but like, debating on whether or not he was real and using research to like, prove our points. And some of us even took like a neutral stance. So that was really cool. And we took a trip just like here in Wyoming. It was like a campsite. And we had like a storyteller come tell us a story to integrate English into it. We went and talked to like a cougar researcher and we talked to her and she was great. And she talked to us about like how cougars, like whether people should hunt cougars or not. It was really cool.
10: I'm Jack, I'm in 11th grade. Um, For my personal project in 10th grade, I created an ARIS app to tour the TSS Jackson campus. I knew that I wanted to create an app for the personal project, and then Nate and Corbin asked me if I would be interested in creating one for the TSS campus. Um, I think that it would be helpful that it would make tours more interactive, and that if there wasn't a, a person available to give a tour, that someone could just download the app and take a tour of the campus yet still learn a lot of the same information that they would get from talking to a p- real person. The First step was just figuring out how ARIS worked and figuring out how I was going to program this app. And then I figured out what I wanted to put in the tour. I talked to different people around the campus to see how they gave tours and then I kind of put all of that information into actually it, making the app. And then I I tested it and showed it to other people at like the, the Maker Fair and at the place-based education symposium at TSF.
1: I get to go to a lot of schools and yeah. I've never been in a school like this. So I'm I, just wondering what yeah. you think about being a student here.
10: I guess it's I, I really like it that you have a lot of like freedom to like kind of learn what you want to. There's different projects like the personal project, an extended essay where you're kind of just free to learn about whatever you want and still be kind of like supported in that.
9: My name is Forrest Buholtz. I'm in eleventh grade and I, in ninth grade, we worked on a project in four classes including science, art, English, and P. Um, in the project we worked on it was based on water, we um, worked on all different Alternatives from the project, and so in PE we worked on fly fishing. I like to fly fish outside of school, so I kind of helped out with teaching other kids how to fly fish. Very cool. And um, that was super fun. In science, we worked on the etymology, um, so it's insects in in the water. Um, we went down to Flat Creek and we looked at stone flies, mayflies, and all the nymphs inside the water. In English, we w- read the River Y which was a book about fly fishing up in Washington, um, about Norman McLean and his adventures up there. In art, we worked on tying flies. Um, and a few people from High Country Outfitters came into journeys to help tie flies. Huh. And I helped out with that as well. So right now in science, we're working on changing genetics. I think that's super cool. I'm um, going to be interesting to go into in the future. Um, so on that, in ninth grade, we went on that fly fishing mm-hmm. journey. Um, We went down to Flat Creek, which is just, it's lower Flat Creek. It's not super great fishing, but that was super fun because I fished there a lot, and it was fun teaching other kids how to do that.
0: Now do you have more friends to go fly fishing with? Uh, Because you've given them good good skills. (laughs) Yeah. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, and today we're sharing the stories that Carrie Schneider recently recorded when she visited the Teton Science Schools. TSS is a partner with Getting Smart for Learning and the Power of Place, which is a blog series, social media campaign, publications, and podcasts that are all dedicated to raising awareness of the potential of place-based education. Let's turn it back over to Carrie for more on our audio field trip to TSS.
1: After an absolutely gorgeous drive through the Teton Pass, we crossed the Wyoming-Idaho border and headed to Teton Valley Community School. In the next clips, you're gonna hear Aaron Tanzer, who led Nate and I across the campus. But when you hear the word campus, you're probably not picturing what Teton Valley Community School actually looks like. This isn't your typical elementary school. It's actually a collection of farmhouses and a yurt converted to classrooms. Instead of slides and swings, the playgrounds are two sprawling natural playscapes with tires, pallets, tools, an overturned canoe, ropes, and various pieces of loose parts for creative play. There are alpacas and barn cats, chicken coop, and a collection of structures built by the kids as a part of both their play and their rigorous project-based learning curriculum. Let's hear more from Erin as she explains the TVCS approach to learning and playing, as well as planning and collaboration. Stats for you. So what you're looking That's at right, awesome. right now is the yurt, which is where we do our
3: enrichment programming. So David is standing up there, long hair. He's our Spanish teacher, and so the kids are gathering for Spanish out there. Um, and then this building here is our first and second grade and our kindergarten. And then across the field over there, we'll go over and see Ella a little bit. Is the Sage House where we have our middle school and our art um, program as well. And so, um, one other thing about you'll notice as we walk around is we have a strong belief in loose parts. Yeah, as a way yeah. um, to encourage creativity and free play. And a lot of the projects that emerge at our school, because we're a project based school that's student initiated, um, a lot of their play will lead to different projects that we study in their interests. Um, and that starts in pre camp. One of the areas that we really work on is character development and what that looks like is restorative practices mm-hmm. and so the way that kind of is facilitated, so right now Amber's doing a check-in, so it's what's going on, what's happening, um, can You tell me more about that, there seems to be a problem, and then helping facilitate a conversation between the kids, so checking in of
4: when something's happened.
3: Um, how did you feel about that? How can I help you feel better? What can we do to make things right? And so the goal isn't to end play. The goal is to figure out a problem so that play and relationships can continue.
1: Might be better. I
3: also want things to be organized in a way that they're accessible and can be put back by the students. And so we've had lots of adult, you know, um, ideas of how to organize, then it doesn't work. Because the things that are, loose parts are organized in, then become part of the play, for example. Mm. We used to have containers oh. made out of pallets. Yeah.
2: And they took the power that
3: worked really well yeah. as you can see and so um it's a it's a process that we're engaging with the students about and we have elementary meetings so the kindergarten and all the way up through the middle school will get together and they'll tackle different problems as a school as the students tackle it with just the proposal of the teacher of this is something we're dealing with what do you want to do how can we solve it and so this may be on the docket last year we had a big about snowballs. They wanted to throw snowballs. And so the kids had to figure out how can we play with snowballs in a way that's safe for everyone and people feel included and they decided to create their own snowball contracts so if you signed the snowball contract you were good to go and if you broke one of the rules then you weren't allowed to do that anymore.
2: Which they goes back to that out. like that play space piece. So yes. we've been talking a lot about of implementation and yes. how do you make place-based education accessible mm-hmm. um, you know when you can't take kids outside for three days or do something right. like that. So the reality is is place based education is can even be it's like those concentric rings. Exactly. Understanding classroom and what, how can you mm-hmm. impact your classroom with a real challenge? Mm-hmm. Um, we I was talking a little bit about that inquiry design. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you didn't use those words, but it's exactly what they it's were exactly, doing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's place the places their school mm-hmm. and they're helping figure out how yeah. to work it and run it in a way that works.
3: Absolutely. You know, and it's called the Peeta Valley Community School because you know that when it was started in the late '90s, parents wanted. A community school that would support individual children, but also hold them accountable within the community mm. to kind of solve problems and, and fix things, you know, and make it and make it work. And like you're saying that, you know, bringing a problem to the kids to solve creates these really rich projects that happen. <laughs> so. um, that comes with this kind of way. Families, play. Families who are realizing who this is an see okay this thing and are. If, if they're on the fence a little bit, I feel like we do a good job of explaining mm-hmm. why we do it this way and what comes out of it and the reason and the rationale. Um, but this isn't going to work for everyone, and we understand that. And um, also doesn't work for every teacher. Right. right. And so right. you need yeah. to have kind of a, mm-hmm. a risk benefit analysis approach to this um, rather than like risk aversion. And I think the way we deal with that well at this school is that you know, because we come from TSS, a lot of us are products of t Science School. We are really, like, medically trained and competent, like woofers and woofas and all that. But also, you know, we, we just have a lot of
2: it's comfort right faith in our
3: students and it starts at the pre-k level so even when the way that i approach my students is i believe they're capable and confident and that together we can figure out how to keep everyone safe and cared for and so that ownership carries up through the grades and they kind of hold each other accountable yeah um we also have and i'll show you more but we have our farm and garden program and so kids are doing real chores every day so they're used to handling tools that could be potentially dangerous you know um they're not chainsaws mind you but they're shovels and they're picks and they have real world um design for that and so they have a a sense of their own bodies and what's okay and not okay (laughs) and one thing we just did this week was um and that's what we'll talk about with the kids but we do woods programming with the preschool so we go out um, every other week at least and we spend half our day in the woods and the kids came up with the rules a couple years ago and there's three rules for the woods and we shared those with aaron over at Journey's Pre-K, and she brought our daily doc to their experience in the art park the other day in a uh, natural setting and shared those rules and then they added to it. So now we're gonna bring those rules back to our kids and add those rules. It's just really like curious
1: how that's going. Yeah. Early. Our last stop is the Teton Science School's Kelly Campus, which is situated inside Teton National Park. As we pulled into the park, I was greeted first by the spectacular Teton Mountains with their first snow of the season. Next, we stopped to take a photo of a bison having breakfast just a few yards off the side of the road. As soon as I got onto campus, we were greeted by these two enthusiastic journey school students who were literally skipping down the lane together after their overnight. I'll let them explain what they were up to.
4: Hi, I'm Libby, and I am in first grade, and I go to journey school.
1: Great. Can you tell me a little bit, Livy, about what you're doing here at the Kelly campus today? Well, we're doing water samples to see what
4: type of bugs live in the water to see if it's polluted or not. Very cool. Did you stay here last night? Um, Yes, we stayed in cabins. Um, They were really fun, and we didn't have to have a teacher because we were well (laughs) behaved. And yeah.
1: You got to stay in a cabin with just the kids in
4: your class? Um, no, I only got to stay with about five people. That is so cool. Do you get to do things like that a lot as a part of Journey School? Um, no, not really. The only sleepover that we have, um, is at school. Um, you, uh, you usually do it in kindergarten and first grade and you sleep in, um, all, all of the class sleeps in a special room. My name is Katie and I'm in second grade. And we did some water sampling, and we were seeing if the water was polluted or not with the bugs. And
1: we found an earthworm. Awesome. What did you find in your water samples? Did you find that there was pollution?
4: Uh, there, there wasn't that much. There wasn't really any pollution.
1: That's good news. Did you get to stay here last night? Um, yeah. Where did you sleep? in a cabin with uh, your teacher and your whole class. Um,
4: with some of the third graders and some of the, um, the second graders that are in my grade, um, that are in my
1: class and with one of my teachers. Very cool. What's your favorite thing about journey school?
4: That we get to go on really fun
1: journeys and it's fun learning there. What's your favorite journey that you've ever gone on? This one. Awesome. Thank you so much, Miss Katie.
0: Next, we're going to listen
1: in on some student presentations at the Kelly campus. These are actually elementary school students from local public schools who are giving their final culminating presentations after a couple days at the Kelly campus, working on an important research project in the field. Student groups collected data from local streams and rivers to measure the population of non-native species. A ranger from the National Park Service was among one of the many members of the audience. We were all just as surprised as the students to learn that there were more guppies in the stream than native fish. This left the group with a lot of questions. How did they get there? What problems are they causing? How can we stop or even reverse these issues? The students also proposed solutions. You'll hear one student offering her solution followed by a line of questioning between the teacher and another group regarding the implications of their research.
4: And here are our solutions, um, and here are some solutions, or one solution that we can do. Is don't dump your fish in the Kelly Warm Springs or in the wild unless you know that the fish are native. And um, some other solutions that the National Park Service can do is they can ask for donations and use that money for what they need to do with the fish. And um, they could trap the fish and throw the native fish back in the warm Springs. Um, and ban people from putting their fish in the warm stream. And there should be no not there should be no non-native fish in Wyoming. And we should keep Wyoming wild.
10: Were you surprised by the data that you collected? Yes.
5: yes. yes. yes.
10: What What surprised you the most?
5: Um. Mm-hmm. We thought that there would be more native fish in the stream, but there was actually none.
10: Yeah, ins- yeah, that's really surprising data. This is your backyard. How, how when you collect that data, how did that make you feel when you saw that data?
7: Um, it sort of made me feel like sort of some like regret that people would like be putting like tropical fish that aren't supposed to be here and ruining Jackson for just like getting rid of their fish.
10: Yeah. So I want us to think about this as not only being science, but I also, this is your backyard, right? And so this is helping us get an understanding of ways we can help protect our our backyard, right? And So you're enlightening us about your backyard, so thank you for collecting that data. But also, thank you for having that feeling and explaining it really well of that it's it's alarming, right, that we're seeing these numbers.
1: Here's Michelle. She's a teacher from Jackson, Wyoming, whose class was among those who participated in this multi-day learning experience on the Kelly campus. She has a little more on the teacher perspective. Great. And we just got to hear some really cool presentations from the kids. I'd love to hear a little bit more about um, their experience here the last couple of days.
11: The students come out for two days, and one of those days is all about a research project where they learn the scientific method and go through all the steps in groups. Um, It's a real life experience, they're working with the National Park Service and really applying their understanding, um, have a real purpose for their work, and then they share out with their peers and with the Park Service all the information they gathered.
1: Great, so tell us a little bit about the information
11: they were collecting and some of the um, hypotheses that they had? Um, they were conducting research on the fish species in Kelly Warm Springs, um, determining if they're native or non-native, um, determining um, if the fish were diseased or not, um, and then making hypotheses about maybe why they were diseased, what was causing that, and, um, and then posing some questions like, what should the Park Service do? What are solutions um, for this problem or this issue?
1: Absolutely, and what kind of things were the kids finding?
11: They, in terms of the fish? Yeah, yeah, yeah in terms okay. of the fish. They okay. were finding um, fish that were non-native, so tropical fish, that, um, and then they were finding the diseases that they had. Um, they were finding that there was very low diversity in um, the two spots where they collected data, and that the bulk of the fish, almost all the fish they collected, were non-native species.
1: It sounds like this is um, a project that
11: kids could do all over the country regardless of where they lived, yeah? Yes, I think so. Um, it's also a great opportunity for them to work together. It's a great community building um, experience, collaborative project, um, and learning that they can learn from each other. So,
1: It's pretty obvious from my visit to Teton Science Schools that place-based education offers a really powerful approach to learning. And it's easy to understand why schools in such a stunning part of the country prioritize spending so much time learning outdoors. But the truly fascinating thing about place-based learning is that your school doesn't have to be nestled in a national park to get kids engaged in learning in their own communities. Look for the next podcast in our place-based learning series in the coming weeks. We'll share more of our conversations with the teachers and leaders at TSS about place-based education with their advice on how to implement place-based learning in your corner of the world.
0: Thanks to the fine folks at Teton Science Schools for making Carrie's visit so special and for agreeing to open up their school to all of our listeners by recording this podcast. You can follow and join our campaign on social media with hashtag placebaseded and at gettingsmart.com slash placebasededucation. There, you'll find links to dozens of contributions from across the globe that describe learning and the power of place. There's also information there about how you can contribute your own guest blog. Keep an eye out for three guides to implementing place-based education in early 2017. This podcast was produced by Carrie Schneider. Be sure to check out the Getting Smart podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, subscribe and rate us. For more on all things innovations and learning, check out our blog as well at gettingsmart.com. For the Getting Smart podcast, this is Megan signing off.